0: episode 26 crazy damn canadians and we have a very special guest here today clarence Boudreau, and welcome to the podcast sir you have a new book i hear the mountain calling what inspired you to write this um
1: actually i got nagged injured by my family i didn't plan on writing a book when i'm 90 years old you know because the memory fool you know plays a few tricks on you now and again and but my wife said my memory is so good I could remember things that never happened.
0: And your wife's name's Olga? Yeah, Olga, oh, yeah. And she's throughout the book and a lot of great stories.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Best thing that ever happened to me <laughs> was meeting her.
0: So where did you grow up? Where were in, you born? In, where do you grow up?
1: Uh, in Penny. I never did grow up. I have to correct you on that one because that I don't want to ever grow up. That's the worst thing that can happen to a person is to grow up. You know, they become cranky and miserable and I want to stay funny until I die.
0: That's a and great I'm working hard hard Good at goal. It's it. mm-hmm. my goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who don't know where Penny is in British Columbia, it's how far east of Prince George?
1: Well, it's uh, I always say halfway to McBride. It's about seventy miles from Prince George 70 on the miles. CNR. Yeah, and of course we're north of the Fraser River.
2: Right. So one of the notable things about that was when you grew up in Penny, and one of the things that's featured most in your book, it's talked about throughout. Was the fact that Penny now, if you go out past Willow River, and you can go all the way out past Upper Fraser, there's a road that goes to Penny, but that didn't exist. How far did the road go back in the 50s and 60s?
1: Oh, back then, uh, you had to cross a ferry to get into Sinclair Mills at that time. So just past Upper Fraser then, Yeah. the road went there, and then it kind of stopped. It wasn't much of a road, I'll tell you, but anyway, yeah, and they crossed a ferry there. You know where the Hansard Bridge is? Yeah, yeah. That's where they crossed the ferry, just blew it.
2: Because lots of guys go out there to go snowmobiling. Yeah. So that's where the Torpy is. Yeah. Areas you probably hiked. Yeah,
1: I've been there a few times, yeah. In Hedrick. Hedrick. Hedrick, I've never been there, no. Oh, yeah, that's just on the other side anyways. Yeah, Yeah. that's
0: another great hike. And and so you were growing up in Penny, and and a lot of the access to Penny was by rail at the time?
1: That's the only way in and out. The only way in and out. Especially in the winter, like in the summer, you could get out by boat.
0: And not just any winter, like long, punishing, dark winters filled with a lot of snow.
1: Well, you know, that's something that I was going to mention to you. Uh, Christine asked me when she interviewed me.
0: She said that... um, With the Prince George uh, Citizen.
1: uh, Yeah, the Prince George Citizen, yeah. She said that, uh, you know, was there a lot of snow back in the early days there in Penny? And I said, well, I'll give you an example of it. I said... uh, one day when I was, I don't know how old I was, say five, six, seven years old, I looked out the window, and there was a hat going along the top of the snow. And I said, that's weird, what the heck? And I looked, and all of a sudden, it had come up a little bit, and there was a head in the hat, hey? Eh? So I opened the door, and I hollered out to the guy, and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm ex- exercising my horse.
2: Oh, wow. geez. So you could <laughs> so sit on a horse. Yeah. And the snow... See, people often ask that. Is it warmer now than it used to be? Do we get less snow than we used to be? Yeah, we get a lot
1: less snow. Really? Oh, yeah.
0: Well, Dave and I, we would have grown up as as kids and our, our teens in the 90s, and... And during those days, I remember the winters were even longer with more snow then. And colder. And colder. But I mean, if we're going back to the, the 30s and, and 40s and 50s, like, yeah. you hear this, the folklore, you hear the stories of what winters used to be like in Prince George. Yeah. Much different.
1: Yeah. Well, in, uh, I think in Prince George, if I, if I remember right, I think that it was officially 62 below at the airport one time. Wow. Quite a few years ago so yeah.
2: when when but you, you so you first started by saying that the, the rail was the only way but yeah. another big feature in your book of course is stories where you guys would build ice bridges across the fraser river
1: uh that would be in uh the 50s that we right. started doing and that was mainly for logging you see uh, there's nice pictures in the book there about the ice bridge and how strong they were and uh, you know kenner's uh, trucks would cross there uh, tail skidding, 30 big trees.
2: Right, so how did you build the ice bridge, and who built them, like, what? what where did that come from? Because I think in
1: the book you talk about the fact that you built some of them, right? Yeah, I did, yeah. And uh, before me, my brother-in-law, John Humphreys, he built a couple there. And then uh, him and I worked together on them, and then I took over and I started building them. And so how long would they last? Like, when, you, when would you build them, and when would they come oh, apart? As soon as the ice stopped, we'd build them. But then uh, they'd go out with the ice in the spring. We couldn't recover anything on them because it was all frozen to ice. So when the river went out, and one time it went out, and uh, do you know what the Fraser Canyon is? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, The bridge was so solid, it jammed the canyon right across. And a friend of ours named Oliver Fraser, he was coming up with his riverboat, and there it is, right in the canyon so he must have had quite a time but he took his power saw and he cut it apart
2: you're and talking the one by west lake like that canyon
0: that people oh, hike oh down no, to no the, the one, one that's further out east yeah there's there's two there's the the fort george canyon and then the fraser canyon that was
1: the big one where so many people died back in the 60s in mm-hmm. the t- at the time of the overlanders really? there was a, i think you figured that maybe hundreds of people drowned in that canyon it's a wild one
0: yeah yeah are you yeah. talking down south Uh, It's out east. It's uh,
1: south of uh, Hutton, or Sinclair Mills, at the river. I did not know that there was actually a canyon You didn't Uh, know that, eh? No. Yeah.
0: So so growing up in Penny, between the World Wars, uh, you were a child during the 30s and and 40s growing up with how many siblings? Seven? What was that? How many siblings did you have? Uh, Five. Five siblings, okay. What was it like for your siblings? Oh no,
1: pardon me, eight in my family. Okay,
0: okay, so eight kids in total? Mm -hmm. And what was it like growing up with your siblings in a very remote part of Northern British Columbia? What did you do for fun?
1: I always say that it was um, a lot of fun. Uh, You know, I'm really happy I was born in a family of eight, because you could be fighting with four and you still had three more to be friends with, you know, it worked out pretty good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like, and you did some adventures as well. In your book, you talk about how your dad used to bring you and a few of your siblings up into the mountains and you'd stay in cabins for the night and uh, yeah. some wild cool adventures with your siblings. What was that like?
1: Well, uh, I don't have very good memories of that. There was just one trip when he was going to take us up. And he said to me, he said, you know what, you've got have good boots if you're going to go up the mountain. I think I was eight years old. So what did he give me? A pair of his dried up old cork boots. Well, by the time there was a cabin at the foot of the mountain, by the time we got there, it was, I don't know, four or five miles. I had blisters all over my feet. I had to take two steps to move the boots. I don't know what he was thinking of. But anyway, there was five or six of us, and that's as far as we got. We turned back and went back home again. (laughs) <laughs> and was that going up Red Mountain?
2: Yeah. Cuz there was no, no trail.
1: There was no trail at that
2: time. I know, and that's one of the things that people are going to realize. We're going to work there. You built the trail. Yeah. Up Red Mountain and yeah. the cabin up Red Mountain. Yeah. But there was more than just Red Mountain in that area. So in Penny, what mountains were there that you guys would climb just so we clarify?
1: Well, main it was mainly Red Mountain itself, and you know, it's quite wide. About it's quite a few miles wide. There's three different peaks on it. And then on the other side of it, there's a place called Don Valley. And that's a, a creek that goes down into the torpy River off okay. the backside. Yeah. Okay. So we had a cabin up on that side, too, at one time. But that uh, we built that. I think there's a picture in the book of it. And it's upright. It's built with upright.
2: Upright logs, and yeah. it collapsed.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, we didn't have anything for the roof, really. And it it's what let go. And then it's and there's still a the stove and... I don't know, wax and dishes and stuff in that. Well, when was the last time you were up there? Oh man, probably, maybe possibly in the 90s. Okay. Yeah. I think I mentioned about uh, going up there with my sons, and we just had a tablecloth for a shelter. Yeah. And a poured grain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. you frozen underneath we that. We could have easily stayed there that time, you know, with hypothermia. Yeah. What
0: what was the population, just for our our viewers, what was the population of of Penny back in the 30s and 40s growing up? Hmm. I'd say probably 50. About 50 people. And you were fortunate enough to meet your wife, your future wife at the time, Olga, in Penny, out of 50 people. Oh, no, there
1: was more of that when she came. Okay. Uh, What year was that? What year did you meet uh, Well, she came to Penny in 19... Fifty. Okay. Or forty-nine. I think the fall of forty-nine or fifty. So, so what did Penny go? Uh, a big mill. At that time, it was the second largest mill in the interior of the
0: province. So uh, the population yeah. exploded then. Yeah. Of growth.
1: Yeah, it did. Yeah, there was quite a few people there then. I know at our wedding, there's quite a big community hall in Penny, mm-hmm. and it was full. It was packed.
0: And that was sponsored by uh, the mill at the time. The community hall. They they helped build it. Uh,
1: the, I think the people of the community built it. The people of the community, okay. Yeah.
0: And there's a really funny story in your book, and I'm hoping that you can talk about it, Clarence, where it has to do with your wife and snakes. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about uh, that story? Because I'm surprised that your wife even still talks to you after reading that story. I know.
1: She, sometimes she doesn't. <laughs> but anyway, no. Well, what happened was I'd like to tell my version of it because she tells hers quite often. And she... Uh, Oh, well, she was at the, living at the tea tree, and I went there to pick her up. We were going to go out and do something. And, and uh, she was in the bedroom, and she was doing her hair and getting all dolled up, you know. And I kept yapping to her when I was in the other room, and I kept saying, you know, you've got to come out here and see these chocolate bars. They got in at the, at the coffee shop. We had a coffee shop at that time. And they're really good, you know. And I built it up, and she come in and she opened the bag, and there were three snakes, live ones <laughs> in there. Well, here's where I—this is part of my plot. You see, why I done it? She cried for over an hour on my shoulder. Oh, I knew oh. I had her. I knew <laughs> I had her right there. Yeah, that's plenty I had. Yeah. Well, in a cruel way. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that she hated snakes that bad.
2: Yeah. Well, it could have been funny. It could have been cute. So in the 1950s, how many people were in Penny? What was it like then? Did you guys have a store? And
1: well, in, uh, according to the mill owner's son, in 1957, I think, there was uh, 675 people. Right. So Prince George probably would have been, what, 5,000?
2: hmm
0: Yeah. There's a a mass, up in force for the world, they have some signage that talks about the massive population growth of Prince George during the 1960s. And it it grew by over 30,000 people in a period of 10 years, one decade, 30,000 people grow. That was
1: uh, palm hill. Yeah, with the palm right? And
0: I I guess Penny was the recipient of that, that population growth as well. Yeah. And... And it was during your time in, in Penny where you also developed a very special relationship with music. Yeah. And did that come from your parents? Were they always yes. involved in music?
1: Yes. Or? it, it yeah. came from my parents.
0: Yeah. Talk about your love for music.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, um, when I was five years old, I used to sit by the record player and sing along with Hank Snow and Wolf Carter. And that's when I started singing and uh, been doing it ever since. Yeah, but anyway, when we were kids, there was a, a quite a big crew in the bunkhouse, and I had three older sisters, and of course, they loved to come over and visit over there at, the, at our place. And uh, they'd come over, and I know one guy played a violin, another guy a guitar, and somebody played the wash tubs and, and spoons and stuff like that. Well, us kids just went crazy. We just loved that, eh? So that was one of our first tastes. And then, of course, my brother-in-law in the 40s, Jack McKinley. I don't know if you guys know him. He was very famous around town. McKinley,
2: yeah. yeah. Isn't there a mountain named after him? or like I don't a know. Or
1: yeah?
0: And in the book, you, you mentioned him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a, a really good musician. And he got together with my sister in 1946, and he came to Penny. And he taught us how to play guitar and stuff like that
0: nice and then the passion just took off from there yeah and it's been a lifelong passion i mean we see the guitar in the studio here and yeah them, you can play a song for us later but it's a yeah. uh, it, it, not not just the your love for music but but also your love for storytelling and you see that throughout the book which is called i hear the mountain colon but you've always been a, a natural storyteller. Did that start at a young age as well, where you just had this?
1: No, it didn't. It's funny, you know, when I was uh, in the one of the lower grades, the school was going to McBride to enter into a sort of a contest or something. And the teacher asked me if I would sing, and I mm-hmm. said no. And I had been singing for quite a while, and she knew that. And I still don't know to this day why. I So I didn't get to go with the rest of the kids, mm. because I wouldn't sing. Interesting. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in
2: Penny, um, as as a young person, what what kind of stuff did you guys get up to? Like, what was your favorite activities? What was life like there when you were younger, for stuff to do?
1: Well, one of my big memories is that uh, when we were quite young, we, our mother made us weed three rows each one of us in the garden, and we could go fishing. So we spent an awful lot of time fishing. We really loved that, yeah. And as for other things, well, uh, my brother Jack—I don't know if you know of him or not. Uh, he's written nine books. He's—he's he, he's gone now, but he was pretty well known here. Yeah. Him and I was always in trouble. We were always into something. But there's one story I'd like to tell you in the book that uh, I like myself. I really think it's cute. But anyway, the. Uh, and my dad one day said to us, boys, you guys go on outside and play. The stork's coming. Going to bring a, a baby. So we had a little meeting amongst us, there was three of us. And we covered all the entrances, including the chimney. We wanted to see this dude, you know. And uh, we're watching and we're watching. All of a sudden we hear a baby crying. So we, cu- we started arguing. Who led down their station? You, oh, know, no. you weren't watching, you know, and you weren't watching. Them. <laughs> but anyway, there it was. And that right. was my youngest sister was born. Yeah,
0: that's a great memory. The one, those kind of memories, they'll stick with you for for life, right? Those exact moments. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned the the fishing as well. That was a passion of yours, but also the hunting, where yeah. you're into hunting as well, but also viewing wildlife as well, especially up in the mm-hmm. Red Mountain area. That
1: was it. That was in later years. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we did. We used to go up and we'd sit there for hours, you know, and, uh, with our binoculars. Yeah. And we learned a lot about the grizzly bears, eh? And uh, one thing is that a lot of people go up the mountain there and they say, we never saw a bear. Well, we found out that you just don't look and see a bear, you know. You have to put your time in. And lots of times it might be that they're behind a little hump or something or a little thump of trees. And they might be digging there for quite a while, and all of a sudden there's a bear, you know? Yeah. Where'd that come from? So that's one of the things we found out about them that, yeah. yeah. And See, we used to love watching them, and uh, one time we watched one swimming. Well, not actually swimming, it was a, a little creek, and it was a pretty big bear, eh? and he, it was a hot day, and he laid down on one side in the creek for a while, then he got up, changed sides, laid down on the other side, was quite cute and we've seen them fight and we've seen lots of them playing and yeah did you hunt
2: bear when you were younger you yeah. said yeah we did
1: yeah did you guys eat
2: grizzly too like would you eat a grizzly no. or
1: no we didn't but we did use the fat
2: right so it was the black bears that you would hunt and eat or no didn't I didn't like
1: them either but a lot of people did I didn't like them no
0: yeah. oh, yes. and yeah. you mentioned in the book also that in 1965, that was a very significant year for you because that's the last time that you ever shot a bear. You noticed that the population might have been dwindling, going down, because you weren't seeing them as often. What, what was significant about that year that made you stop hunting grizzly bears? OK. <clears throat> what happened was
1: we had a, a special spot up in the mountain. And there was uh, big rock cliffs across the valley. And around them, we always saw grizzly bears. Well, we went up this one time, and my brother and I, and we were glassing away. No bears. The light bulb come on. I know where they are. They're down hanging on the walls in Penny and different places. So that's when I decided it's time to quit. And it's more fun watching them alive than to see their hide hanging up.
2: But you sure have a lot of stories about close calls with bears, yeah. like really close calls. So, But what was notable to me was, in the book throughout it, you talk about the fact that when you saw grizzlies, like you were just puckered up and scared, yeah. but you saw black bears that were coming for your food in the tin cans in one notable story in the book, and the bears were outside eating, and you ran out and threw rocks at them and chased them and ate your food looking at
1: the bears just keeping them away. Well, yeah, and one time that didn't work very well, because, well, as you know, we run a a fish hatchery there, eh? yeah. and I had this girl looking after it, and she come down to the house, and she said, there's a bear up there, and he won't go away, so I went up and I chased him out one end of the hatchery like, and he went right around and come in the other side, and then we had a chicken house sitting outside there a little ways, and he went around this way, and I went around this way, I didn't have my gun or anything, and we met about 12 feet apart. And he wasn't giving up. So uh, I went down to the house and I got my gun and we... He died of lead poisoning. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's nothing else we could do, you know, because they can do an awful pile of damage in a hatchery.
2: But you basically would stand up to black bears and chase them away. Oh, yeah all the time and that yeah. you mentioned that multiple times yeah. and have multiple bears there and you'd chase them away and didn't really care yeah. what was the difference between them and a grizzly though like were people actually getting attacked by grizzlies back then
1: oh yeah yeah there's lots of uh records of people in fact uh a friend of ours that we knew george evanhoff yeah, yeah. he uh he got killed by a grizzly up on the end of the bear paw ridge bear paw which ridge. is the opposite end of yeah. where our is.
0: yeah we had a gentleman Uh, came on the program, Mike Nash. Mike Nash, I know him, Really great guy, and he articulated the the story because George is a very, very good friend of his, and it was in the the late 90s when it happened, 98 or 99, and just the, the, that man, George Evanoff, and the the book that Mike wrote about him called The Mountain Knows No Expert. Right. It's so true because regardless of, of how specialized you might be in any kind of wilderness training, like, the mountain knows no expert, and so he went over the details of of what eventually led up to George Evanoff stumbling upon a, a moose carcass that a, a grizzly must have uh, killed or Well, or he broke. just
1: he just saw the bear or the wolf tracks, and he didn't realize there was a grizzly there. Mm. And they said his tracks were real short, and he was sneaking up, and the bear came up behind him. And you know. but I can further that story a little bit. Uh, We had a phone in the house for the forestry, and it was one of them ones you could hear everybody speaking over it. Yeah. Well, George rang his wife in Prince George, and my wife was listening on the phone in the house, and uh, she'd answered the phone, and all you could hear was breathing. He couldn't talk, and he'd done this a few times before he passed away, I guess. Wow. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's sad and i mean y- they evanoff provincial park they named provincial park where fang mountain is after this gentleman george evanoff and and he's he's somewhat of a, a legend ar- around prince george in the north just for everything he accomplished and i and think if he were to go he'd probably choose no other way you know yeah. he, he passed away in yeah. that a destination that he absolutely cherished and loved in in the mountains on the yeah. the bears park well he
1: he said he knew he was in the wrong mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah. That's apparently what he would
1: have said, I should say. Not d- yeah. that he did, because he couldn't talk. But yeah. Anyway, my son-in-law went up there with uh, a couple of police the next morning, and uh, Dave King, who we know well, yep. he um, went up with some friends in the, in the night and walked right by there. That's right. Yeah, he yeah. came back down again.
0: Yeah, because I believe George Evanoff had a rule that if if he didn't return that night, like, don't send out search and rescue or anything he might have decided to stay at the cabin or overnight yeah like wait at least 24 hours but what was what set people off that night was I guess he had dinner plans that evening that, and so when he didn't come back and, and show up yeah dad, and, and then the phone call as well but with the grizzly bears you mentioned in the book that you also develop a, a bond with them a relationship because year in year out year after year you start to see this, the same bears yeah, yeah. appear. And, and families, yeah. Yeah, and families of bears. And you probably have maybe names for some of them.
1: And yeah. We, well, we had um, uh, Dave Armish. I don't know if you guys know him or not. And uh, Dr. Patterson and their wives. And there was uh, quite a few of us up there. And in uh, a 24-hour period, we saw uh, 21 different grizzly bears that we could identify. Wow.
0: Yeah. 21 Grizzly. it's, bears. A, it's
1: a real uh, uh, breeding ground for for the mothers and cubs up there yeah and sometimes like sometimes we could put the binoculars up and we'd have eight bears in Wow in the binoculars.
2: So that's so tell us a little bit about Red Mountain when you started going up. what was it like how long would it take you to get up Red Mountain because for people who don't know if you start at the bottom you've got six kilometers to reach the base of the mountain. Yeah. Starting from the Penny store yeah. or the rail. And then you got six kilometers up. So it's a 12 kilometer hike on the trail that you built. but yeah. What was the lake for you when you went up?
1: Uh, back at that time, there's a place um, on the side of the mountain that we call the Canyon. It's an actual canyon. And we used to go down the track three miles from Penny West and then up and climb up. Your nose is pretty near touching the hill. And I remember when my uh, brother and I was young, we had trouble getting anybody to go with us because we'd put on a 60-pound pack and our gun, and we'd run until our tongues were sticking out, and then we'd, you know, for a long time. And as soon as one guy got up, the other guy had to get up, eh? Yeah. yeah. So they said that we were like mountain goats, and they didn't uh, like traveling with us. So how long did it take you to get to the top of the mountain back then? Oh, boy. That's a long, long time ago. I would say probably from the time we left Penny, uh, I'd say maybe five hours, maybe six.
2: Well, see, that's funny because that's about how long it takes you on a trail, which is really nice. You guys did a great job yeah like and so you you were a billy goat then because you were doing it with no trail up the side of that mountain and for anyone wondering if you've done raven lake viking sugar bowl any of those hikes out east it's pretty similar the hike up red mountain trail is pretty similar as most of the other mountains in the area it's a good thousand meter climb um up a pretty nice trail but you go through first forest it's kind of like the ancient forest Mm -hmm. and then you come out up into the alpine or subalpine really, I guess. Yeah. At the top there, and it's a gorgeous view, and it's on the kind of in the backside. There's a bowl, so you hike up and over the top, and then you enter this bowl where that's where you built the cabin was.
1: And there's a lake down there at the at the back. I don't know if you've been to that.
2: In the winter, I hiked it. Yeah. We did it in minus thirty. Yeah. On in snowshoes. Gee. And yeah, that was the. That's a tough trip. Yeah. It was a tough trip. We were yeah. scared, and in modern gear, yeah. with snowshoes and a cabin that had a fire. Yeah. But of course, the only thing up there in the winter was just the roof, just yeah. the tip of the roof, and you hiked down the snow on steps people had built to get into the cabin.
0: And it's extraordinary that you can still book that cabin today. And yeah. The cabin that you built is yeah. being used by and enjoyed well, actually, by people here
1: the north. Actually, there was uh, five of us mm-hmm. built the cabin. And then my sister and my wife, they changed it. So they were in on it too. So it wasn't just me, it was you know, more yeah.
0: people to it. So let's let's uh, talk about that. Did the idea manifest that you wanted to build a cabin up there and, and yeah, for all to enjoy? Yeah, it and, did, yeah. And then how long did it take to, to build the cabin? Was it a, a two or three summer project? Did it happen in one period of time?
1: Um, that cabin, let's see now. That, uh, well, actually I built. Built a road up there over a period of ten years, and then we built the cabin. It was it was built in '62. Yeah.
2: So you started building the road up in the '50s.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, it was earlier than that. No, it was '54. Actually, what we did, we cut a trail up to the first top of the ridge there, in back in that time, and then it sat like that for quite a few years. And then I got my cat when we started farming there, and then I started building the road up and.
0: So that cabin is turning sixty years old next year.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> the cabin was rebuilt.
2: So the cabin you originally built, yeah, uh, was rebuilt not too many years ago.
1: Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't know when that would have been. Um. Uh, my son-in-law was the main person in that that organized it to rebuild that cabin. Yeah. And he's gone now too. Right? Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and they put it up, and it's a beautiful, beautiful location. Yeah. But not one that I'd ever heard of, but absolutely one of my favorite hikes now. Yeah. In northern BC, because you really do go through so many different types of forest on your way up there. Um, And that was
0: your backyard growing up.
1: Yeah. We had uh, uh, a fellow up there from Switzerland, and uh, right when when the valley there was all blooming like that and stuff, He said, this is as pretty as anything I've seen in Switzerland. That Mm. was quite a compliment. Yeah,
0: And that's British Columbia for you, right? Uh, For people that may have grown up in British Columbia and and maybe not have done a lot of traveling around the world or or left the the province of the country, you almost become desensitized to the beauty. But once you start seeing other places and start exploring more of northern british columbia or just the province as a whole you recognize how lucky we are oh yeah this is a very that's for very sure. special place that's
1: why i never uh, traveled very far
0: <laughs> and i you, didn't have to and, and clarence you had some very interesting careers growing up as well and i'm, I'm actually just going to uh, name some of the a few of them so when you were at the age of 15 You started a career as a flunky in the cookhouse, then moved on to work as a horse logger, sawmill worker, bush foreman, rancher, cat skinner, forest warden, road and bridge builder, and you finished your career as a salmon hatchery manager. That's a diverse collection of careers you had. It is, you know, not
1: many people have that variety, do they? That's a lot of different changes
0: and I think it goes to show the versatility and the various skill sets that you develop, you know, growing up off the land in a lot of ways. And, you know, when you don't have an extraordinary amount of resources at your disposal to use, you find ways to get things done and you become valuable in not just one or two, but a large quantity of different things.
1: I have a cute story to tell you. I don't think it's in the book. There's the John Howard society. They have a, uh, sort of a halfway place at uh, Kenneth Creek. And uh, they come out to interview me to see if I would like to be the head honcho over there. And uh, so anyway, we started the interview and uh, I told them, I said, uh, you know, I might be interested in the job. And they said, how's that? And I said, well, one thing, under one condition, you let me carry a forty 6 six-shooter. And the first guy that used dropped CF bomb on me. Bang, he's gone. That was the end of the interview.
2: (laughs) You know, it's funny, I started working at Sun Life in Parkwood Mall, and right next door to me was a fellow named Mike Perm. And Mike was, you know, in his 80s. And he talked about the fact when he started in the insurance game in Prince George, he would come wearing a six shooter on his hip (laughs) working in insurance because he was in finance and you had to be able to protect. Yeah the money and I was like are you kidding me and he wasn't and now you tell that story (laughs) and I'm
0: like apparently this was a thing. That's funny. You know there's this very popular musician, her name's Jewel, she's from Alaska and she was actually just on the most popular podcast in the world, The Joe Rogan Experience Mm -hmm. and she was telling a story how when she went to university in Colorado that she showed up to, to class with a knife on on her belt like mm-hmm. everyone in Alaska just walked around with knives and then all of a sudden she found herself in the principal's office so very similar <laughs> story how yeah. you know there's certain things in, in in different cultures and areas where you don't recognize they're not the norm yeah one career I'd love to talk about right now Clarence and I'm hoping that you could tell this story is this about patty the horse when you're in the the horse logging business because I read that story, and it was very emotional. And yeah. I'm going to let you tell it, but Patty the horse.
1: Yeah, well, it was a very sad day for us, and actually what happened was, I was driving the team of horses, and I was going up this skid trail, and I could see my brother and another fellow, Emil Micho, they were falling this tree, and I could see that it had the undercut, it was going to go straight across the road, so we're in the clearing. A wind come up and broke the the tree off and sent it right down the skid trail. And I stayed there for a while. I managed to get the younger horse off, but the older one, he stayed right there. And uh, the last thing I remembered was that uh, I saw a tree on the side of the road and I was going to cross over to it and I got hit on the head by what uh, broke over the horse's back. The rest of the tree hit me on the head and my mitt was on one side my toque on the other side. But I wasn't out very long when I hit the cold snow i come to. And anyway, then the, the horse just, uh, he was down on his hand and he just groaned a bit and then he fell over and that was it. And uh, we, had, we had, between my dad and I, we had driven that horse for years, it was a beautiful animal. Yes, uh, yeah. I believe
0: 1,600 pounds and, yeah. and at the time it was the company's property. Just That's like, right. Just yeah. like a co- company would own an asset today in a, a machine, like a, an excavator, like back then with using a lot of horses for logins, that was company property, right? Yeah, but when you you develop a bond with with that yeah. horse, when you spend so many hours yeah. on its back or or riding it, and, and it must have just been incredibly sad to, to have to witness that, and almost scary afterwards. Whenever you'd hear a sound, a snap, or or a tree yeah. coming down, there's almost PTSD after that. It
1: sure was. Yeah, I was nervous for quite a while after.
0: And you're yeah. back at work the next day.
1: Yeah, back at work, but pretty jumpy, I'll tell you.
0: Yeah, very traumatic, and and to to witness yeah. that.
1: So, so you were also
2: one of the first people to get a cat in out in Penny eh? Like you bought a big loader, or yeah. dozer.
1: actually, there was cats there before that. Nineteen fifty was when they first came in, and I got mine in fifty-seven, and uh, I bought it when Finning Tractor was on First Avenue here in Prince George, and uh, I bought it, and I think I paid. Uh, 22500 for it at that time, brand new. And uh, I got $500 back on the exchange. Our dollar was worth more than the Americans at that time.
0: Yeah,
2: different and story now. <laughs> so how yeah. long did it take you to pay that thing off? At 22000 in the 50s would have been, well, hold on, 100 is 1100 today on my index chart. So that's 10 times more. That's $220,000 th- $220, equivalent today. Wow
1: that's what that
2: thing cost you
1: well actually um, we paid cash for it so how did
2: you do that
1: well actually uh, my wife doesn't really like to talk about that much but she uh, she had a an inheritance and that's how we managed to do that yeah
2: and then you used that thing to develop a business like you did a lot of stuff with that that's one of the things that speaks about the resilience of people back then which is what struck me you mentioned that and I'll agree if I get a tire stuck in the snow, I pretty much just get out of the truck, call BCA, and write myself off. I'm like, well, I guess I'm waiting for BCA and a tow truck. You have multiple stories where you drove your bulldozer into the river in four feet, broke through the ice in four feet of water. Yeah, and tell us about that a little bit. I don't want to repeat your story. Well,
1: actually, it was um, I was building one of the ice bridges. And we had a raft that we were crossing equipment on so they could start logging earlier, but not cross the river until we got the ice bridge. And when the ice formed, we built the ice bridge out onto that raft, and there was about 30 feet left between there and the bank. Well, we tested the water on both sides, on both ends, and it was about three inches of water. So I said, well, that's fine. But a good thing I did do, I turned the cat around. And when I backed off, I was just clearing bang, down I was on the bottom, just like that. And uh, I managed to get the blade up on the raft and hold it up, the the front of the cat, because the fan was hitting chunks of ice. And th- this was not good. But anyway, then we pulled out the main line and there was a cable between two cottonwoods up on the bank. And if we could reach that, then I could winch it back out, eh? Well, I got it just about there. It was just about ready to hook it on and it come off the 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 drum of the winch and curled up like a tail like they do, eh? Yeah. But anyway, we pulled it back and it was uh, around zero or below zero. And I was working in the water, like just with my arms up to here, trying to hook that back on. I finally got it hooked on and we winched it out, eh? And got it back up on dry land. But anyway, uh, it was funny how the, the moccasin telegraph worked. I was working for Eagle Lake there. At that time, they owned Penny. And uh, I got on the phone for some reason, and that's the first thing they mentioned. We hear your cat took a bath today. That's what they said. They knew all about it.
2: I mean, that's a very different world when you... Are talking about at zero degrees crawling into the Fraser to hook a winch up to pull your cat out that you drove off of a raft that you would load equipment on to take across the river yeah. in the winter I don't think unless you look at the book I didn't really understand until I looked in the book and saw the picture of two boats that you guys had built a ramp across the two yeah. boats So two b- aluminum boats for lack of a better description just a bigger version of aluminum boat and you built a ramp across the top of the two of them, and you would drive loaders onto that using the two aluminum boats as your floats and take those things across the river.
1: Yeah. I took a, a hay builder to Longworth, 21 miles down the river, you know. On a float like that? On, on two boats. And the other boat was leaking. So there were, one guy was bailing all the way, you know. But anyway, you know, we never thought of it. Not too smart, eh?
2: I don't know. I just can't believe
0: you would even think to do that. Like yeah. it's so inconceivable. And your resourcefulness is evident throughout the book in multiple oh, stories. Yeah. And like, I read this book and I felt like a useless human being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what you were able to accomplish, and, and a lot of times self-taught. A lot of times, and, and do you see where the world is today? And are you amazed just at the lack of skill sets that people have these days? Like we're also reliant on just having somebody else take care of a, a problem, but throughout your book and growing up in Penny, you just got things done yourself. There's no other way. Yeah, well, I guess I was known
1: for that, but uh, you know, I'll give you an example of it. Uh, we've got a friend in Germany, a doctor, eh? and he loved coming over to Penny with his family and stuff. And anyway, uh, what was I gonna tell you there now? Oh yeah, he said to me one day, he watched me, one minute i'm driving one machine or a different machine and this and that and then i'm welding and you know just oh and he looked at me and he says do you know what i could never ever do that and i said you might be surprised if you had to yeah
2: maybe you could mm-hmm. and so yeah. that's what it was it was just necessity yeah. right oh that's yeah perfect
0: well, answer
1: yeah we couldn't we couldn't uh, run to Prince George every time we needed something so we built a lot of things ourselves.
0: You had no other alternatives. Yeah. And th- I look at that as such a good thing where it, it forces you to learn new skill sets and yeah. take on other initiatives yourself and not not be reliant on, yeah. on others.
1: Well you know what I, I have a, a very good friend he still lives here on Prince George and worked for me at the hatchery for a long time and really uh, his name is Don Huddlemeyer and he was a really handy, gifted man. He could do all kinds of stuff, but he had to have time. Well, if something happened, say a hose blew up or something at the hatchery, and we're going to have a water problem, he said, you come up with the answer right now. How do you do that? I said, I don't know. Just do it, that's all. And uh, he said, I could never, ever do that. Yeah. Yet he was really a handy man. Yeah. eh?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I guess that's a a special gift is what it is. eh?
0: It absolutely is, Clarence. It is a really special gift that you should be proud of. And in addition to these skill sets, you also flirted with different patents, Uh, some that worked and and some not so much. Let's talk about those.
1: Well, one of the patents that uh, my brother-in-law and I were in on it together, and in those days there was no patent lawyers this side of Winnipeg. That's a long time ago. And what it was, was we uh, developed a way to hook uh, a motor onto several different pieces of equipment. And they kept hosing us. eh? They'd say, we just about got your patent, but another $50, another $50. And we made the biggest mistake of our life. We dumped it. We got fed up with it. (laughs) <laughs> that was a bad mistake because we had a letter from Terry Machinery Company saying if you get this patent we want to talk to you. I've often thought of that afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> That that could have been a really
0: big deal. That could have taken your life in a whole different direction. Yeah. But would and
2: you say that that would have made any difference? I mean reading the book, you had a pretty amazing life anyways. Yeah. You know, uh, what would you have done different if you had a million dollars?
1: I think I probably would have helped a lot of people. I hope. Yeah.
0: But it, but it sounds you like have you already money? did. Eh? It sounds like you were already doing that, oh, helping yeah. people, right? But it, I could do it in yeah. a bigger way. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I think a lot of people attribute success to the amount of money that you have in your bank account or the amount of money that you make over a lifetime, and that's not true. Like success is being able to go through a life like you did, Clarence, and positively influence others in, in a number of ways, but also be able to follow your passions and learn in new things. One thing that uh, you exemplify several times throughout the book is you're always learning, always learning new things. It's not like as human beings we should get to a certain age and we just have to stop learning. Yeah. It should be a, a lifelong endeavor, and, and you did that perfectly throughout the contents of this book and your life stories.
1: Yeah. Sure. yeah that was... Uh it was a lot of fun sometimes I'll tell you.
0: I think the but, other thing that came out of
2: it was the connection you had to people. Like it's yeah. uh, you you don't see very many people that have community like you really get this sense of community as you're reading the book. Yeah. And how important it was that everybody knew everyone. If something went wrong with someone and a fire started somewhere, everybody's there within minutes. And you see yeah. that in the old movies, but you really read and get the in your words feel of how people would be banding together and helping one another and how many different people you helped yeah Uh,
1: you know what i've i've um i've been thinking quite a bit since i've written the book and i guess i'd easily have enough stories to do another one but i I won't i know that for sure
0: but well uh, don't write off that idea hey i i I was there's always a possibility don't say no to that idea yet (laughs) But, but it was
1: there was a lot of work to do this one. Yeah,
0: and you're uh, working with uh, Tracy Brown. Yeah. Do you want to uh, talk about your relationship with her? How did you get in in contact with with Tracy?
1: Well, um, she, her and her husband. I don't know if you guys know Kevin Brown. He he's well known. He was in the uh, news business for years here, and then he went on his own. And uh, that's her husband. And uh, they're good friends with my daughter, Maxine. Okay. So that's how that's the connection there. And we asked her if she'd be interested, and she said, yeah. But anyway, Tracy is a, an ex-school teacher. So is my wife. So they ganged up on me. I was writing my stories out, and i just write them out. No periods, no commas, no nothing, you know. And they wanted to correct me on that. And I said, why? Why do you want to correct me on that? I said, have you ever heard anybody reading a book and they say, Joe Blow done this, comma, and he should have done that, period, and so on like that. Nobody reads like that. They just read the writing. So why bother Monkey with all that stuff? We had a lot of fun with it, but they won. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it
0: it turned into a fantastic final product. And throughout the book, you you talk about a lot of the relationships that you had with with your siblings, with your parents, and, and special friends. One name that was mentioned is is Bob Harkins, and yeah. he has quite the story as well. And, and Prince George, describe your relationship with with Bob, and and for our listeners who might remember Bob Harkins' comment or the fact that our Prince George Library is named after him, I, what is Bob's story?
1: Well, Bob, uh, <clears throat> he came. His dad was Salfiler and Penny. That's how I met him. He, he came there with his dad, and he worked in the mill for a while, and. Uh, him and I, in the winter, we were both out in the bush, setting chokers for cats, eh? And he come out one day, after going home for lunch, I stayed out there and eat my lunch out there. And he told me that my son was born, My oldest, our oldest child was born, eh? But anyway, Bob and I, we'd done a lot of hiking together, a lot of partying. And once a year, Bob and Barbara would come out, and they'd bring a big lunch, and we'd get in the boat and go up to what we call the mouth of Slim Creek, and uh, he'd set everything up. He'd he'd have a, a a container there, and he'd put a white tablecloth on it. And, you know, he said we're cosmopolitan now, and uh, we'd have lunch, and we'd done that every fall, eh? and uh, yeah. So we were really good friends, but uh, I was going to tell you that uh, when Bob won the Citizen of the Year here in Prince, he. Uh, I was invited as, uh, I guess, uh, the hidden speaker. There was eight of us there, and uh, that I really had Bob on the, on the hot seat there in that one. But anyway, I, I, I told a whole bunch of stories and a lot of comedy, eh? And uh, I was going to say afterwards, which then, or, uh, what's his name, Campbell, the, who got to be the premier. Gordon Campbell. Gordon Campbell. He come up and introduced himself, eh, Afterwards, but anyway, he was there at that. Do. A lot of people from the, you know, the, what, what you'd call the, the big shots of the city were there. But anyway, at the end of it, uh, I I said to the crowd, I said, Well, John Backhouse was uh, the the, the MC. he was, you know, in charge of it. And I had run this by him, and and he, I said, do you think that proper to use this year? He said, we're all grown-ups, you play it by ear, do whatever, you know. So anyway, I said that, in Penny, excuse me, in Penny everything was getting pretty boring and quiet, you know. So Bob and I, we decided we'd organize a, a passing contest. And uh, I waited, you know, and the crowd just went silent. And then I said, my Aunt Bertha won. Oh, no. And <laughs> there was people thumping the tables. and. Yeah, that that was that was the end of it there. And, and of course Bob got up and made a speech about it and he said, What uh, my name come up, you know, he was he was giving everybody a little bit of credit and he says, What is there that I can say about him? <laughs> he said and he just that was the end of it, him talking about me, you know. Yeah, except he did say that we were very good friends and
2: You knew a lot of people, you really get the sense like you kn- you talk about so many different names yeah and uh how did you like get involved with people from prince george though if you were from penny like how did that happen
1: well i had a lot of relatives in prince george
2: right so would you come to town often like was that a pretty common thing for you guys
1: uh n- not any like sometimes it was a year you know before we'd come to town or i'd come to town or the family would yeah. and I like
2: drive it in an hour Eh? Now you can drive it in an hour, in an, an hour, an hour, hour yeah. and a half, yeah. and you can make it into town. But yeah. you know, it would have been a year to go to Penny. That's a wild thought.
1: Yeah, and uh, we used to travel quite a bit on what they called the way freight back then. Do you know what that was? No. Well, it, 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 they had a, a, a locomotive, and they had, I think, a, a couple of cars, and then they had a, a coach and a caboose. And that was it. And it run up to McBride. Uh, it made three trips a week. It went up one day, back the next, and like that. And uh, one day it didn't run. Well, we'd get on that. And my gosh, that was a trip in itself. I remember one time it was seven hours to get to Prince George. Why? Well, they stopped every place. If you were standing by the track, they'd stop and see what you wanted. You know, it was really nice. Not like now, right? Now there isn't any service out there from the railroad. Yeah. None. Yeah, Everything is shut down.
0: Yeah. W- when you would make those trips to Prince George, was it a little intimidating at all? Just oh, I mean, oh. considering the population was, was 50 times the size. But yeah. did you, because a lot of people still come to Prince George from smaller communities in the region, that, and they still feel, they look at Fiji as the big city, right? And yeah. did you feel intimidation at all when you'd arrive?
1: Well, I don't know if I felt it, but uh, I'll tell you what happened. I come in and, uh, you know, being in Penny all the time, when I got into Prince George, I said hi, hi, hi to everybody on the street. And they'd stop and look back, <laughs> I wonder where the devil did that guy come from, you know? <laughs> I was about nine years old, I think. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, you know, you actually get that like going from Prince George to Vancouver sometimes where you're used to just kind of saying hi to strangers or making small talk with people in elevators. But it ends quickly because in Vancouver, yeah. it feels like it's a little bit more reserved. Yeah. But in, in Penny, I guess going from a community where you literally know every single person in that community yeah. to all of a sudden being exposed to strangers and, yeah. and looking around being like, I've never met these people. This is bizarre. Yeah. That's a funny story.
1: Yeah, that, you know, that's one thing I really like is, uh, is humor. Mm-hmm. I love that. You yeah. brought your
2: guitar. You, music was a big part of your life. We talked yeah. about that briefly. And uh, t- so w- how did you end up playing the guitar and where were you playing it? Like, what was your band kind of history?
1: Well, my uh, daughter, my son and I, we played for a lot of parties in Penny over the years. And every Christmas we had the whole town into our house, and and we'd go until three or four o'clock, or maybe longer in the morning. And that was in the days you don't see many parties like that anymore. When I was young, and when I was growing up, you went to a dance, you didn't leave till the sun was coming up. Yeah. And that's the way it used to be back in the day. Now people are yawning and getting tired at ten o'clock, you know. Wimps. yeah there's there's some people i guess still party like that but not very many
2: you were going to memorialize a song should we pull your guitar out give you an opportunity to i uh, think you
0: should yeah you know you you look at all these all these things that you're so familiar with clarence whether it's the the storytelling or being able to live off the land and and have those skill sets such as uh, fishing and hunting and. And being a musician and being a singer, like, do you feel a lot of these are becoming almost lost arts? Uh, 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 such day? a
1: variety, I would say, probably. Yeah. 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 There's probably still some people I hope that do it, but
0: yeah. But, but when I'm you were like, in Penny, you, you weren't the only musician. You weren't the only singer. And even you mentioned dancing. Like, like I've I've talked to people that have met their partner, whether it's their husband and wife still to today. They said. They met them dancing. That was yeah. how you'd meet your partner. Like, yeah. we danced well together and fell in love. Like, that was the, the icebreaker almost, how you danced together. And yeah. mean, where, where do you see dances today? I mean, you're a, you've been a DJ for, what, 30 years in this community? Well, and
2: this whole trend, like, the, all the community halls that you guys built yeah. are closing. I know. Um, the Blackburn Community Hall that I'm on the board right now yeah. is looking for who can take it over. Uh, the Hart Community Center uh, just got handed over to the Prestige Treasure Cove Hotel. Um, a lot of them are closing. It's a different era now, right? That's
1: Well, if you talk to the musicians themselves, you know, that's what they say. I mean, there's no place to go and play anymore. Yeah, yeah. There used to be all kinds of places, you know. Like uh, Jack McKinley, my brother-in-law, and my brother Jack, and my sister Evelyn, they had a, a band together in Prince George, and then a fellow named Max Sexmith and different fiddlers and stuff well, you could play all over the place, you know you could yeah. go out along the line and play for dances and stuff and the fiddlers Mike Saint Germain I know him yeah I knew him, I should say yeah and Brian too yeah
2: all the yeah they all were part of the old-time fiddlers yeah
1: I had a favorite one myself it was his name was Buster Sandy and uh, some of the fiddlers were really good, but they just stood there. Well, he was all over the place, you know, he was really full of life eh? and I liked that. And a good fiddler too, yeah. yeah. So I got to know a lot of the, the old-time fiddlers through my brother-in-law and through different people. And a lot of them come to Penny. Yeah. And come out there to visit and, yeah.
2: And then set up in the hall and...
1: Yeah. Well, play us a song.
2: Sure. Let's hear this.
1: Okay. Now, first off, there's one song here that I've written that's called Mountain Memories. And uh, I would say, out of all the songs I've written, it's probably my favorite because it describes my life quite a bit. But before I do that, there's something else I would like to do here. I would uh, I don't know if you can see that very good there. Can you see the picture there on the guitar?
0: Oh, yeah. Andrew can zoom in.
2: Penny Slim. That's what it says. Okay.
1: Yeah. Now, that's that uh, picture was taken uh, the day after our wedding, 70 years ago. We're at my mom's place, and I'm sitting on the Chesterfield singing to my wife. And I'll just sing a couple short verses of the song for you. Sounds and great. And uh, don't cry. Okay. <laughs> good-looking couple too. just got to get my head in gear here first.
2: Need a coffee?
1: Okay. No, I'm okay. I don't drink. I'm not mad enough. (laughs) With this ring I thee wed, my angel here beside me. A moment more and heaven will be mine. With this ring I thee wed. I vow to love you truly until the end of time here you'll be mine
2: that's awesome you know what that sounds like an old time yeah. <laughs> song like when I started DJing yeah. I could literally envision being in like the Penny Hall or the Ferndale Hall.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, after your wife hears that song, I'm sure she forgave you for the snake incident.
1: Well, you know what happened with that song a while ago? Uh, my wife, she, we had a bad car accident in 1980. Eh? In and, Penny? Uh, not 1980, in 2011. Ahead on. Eh? So in Prince and George. In Prince George, uh, right at the turn turnoff. And uh, so we, we both got pretty badly busted up, eh? And uh, she was in the hospital three and a half months. So anyway, she, her one finger that was broke was the ring finger so she couldn't wear her ring. So she took it off and she put it on her dresser in her bedroom. And Jenny and I, who you guys know, we got together and we planned this out. And Jenny took the ring and took it down to a jeweler. And he resized it bigger and polished it all up nice, our wedding ring. So then she didn't know anything about it, and under the Christmas tree, we had a little box there, stuff, and that was, I said that's one you can't look at, because our daughter was coming in that evening, and we were going to record this thing, you see. So anyway, uh, uh, my son-in-law, who is a very good guitar player, uh, Dave Saintimon, he uh, he was going to play the guitar, and of course I was talking to to Olga. And I said, um, okay, you can open that now. So she sort of pushed it away because of the snakes, you know. <laughs> so anyway, oh, no. she finally opened it up and there's a wedding ring in there. So I got it in my hand. And as I'm putting it on her finger, I was singing that song. The same song that we sang 70, or I sang 70 years ago
0: it doesn't get any more romantic than that and that one
1: that one was on uh, cbc radio that's why
2: he's still married and i'm going through a divorce
0: <laughs> <laughs> way to make us all look bad clarence nice work yeah. we I needed, could all learn a lot from you
2: i needed you? relationship advice
1: from you years ago
0: that could well, be your son. next job relationship advice for yeah. guys like dave and me
1: well one of the important things is you've got to learn to say yes dear yeah quite uh, often Okay. Okay, I'm going to try this song out here and I hope I don't wreck it. Let's do it. High up in the mountain, so wild and free, for so many years, that's where you'd find me. Where the mountain peaks reach for the blue, blue sky, You'll never find such beauty no matter how you try. It's the alpine I learned to love so very much where Mother Nature perfected her touch. It's the millions of flowers for mile after mile. I'll show you A picture that will make you smile. That's where the grizzly fields at home with so many miles where there's freedom to roam. I love to watch them play for hours on end. It's the happiest time I ever did spend. My family would come up for holidays. We built a cabin at a nice place to stay. As I sit in my lazy boy dreaming away, I relive those memories from yesterday. I relive Those memories From yesterday
2: yeah, There's only nice. two of us to clap <laughs> Do you have those songs Have you recorded your songs Like anywhere to, for your on family fa- I,
1: I have a, a Facebook page Yeah and so you put them on there Yeah That's I've got good. quite a few on there I was like that well, don't a, matter I've written one lately, and uh, uh, I haven't got it out there yet. But anyway, I, I've I've got it about uh, who's going to impersonate Penny Slim when he's gone, you know. And it's just a kind of a goofy thing. Eh? <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway. I think it's great. So yeah. you know, before we wrap up the, the podcast, uh, that a large part of the reason why Dave and I and Andrew really love and enjoy doing these podcasts is, you know, because I I hope that people can reflect on them and and really it puts a smile on on people's face so I, you have four children correct yeah why don't you before we end things up just uh, throw out a special memory or, or something you really admire about each one of, of your kids and then we'll end it there just uh, it's it's on well the record.
1: our oldest son he's uh, he had his own training program and he trained uh, first nations people mm-hmm. a lot and uh, then he got working for two different companies that uh, supply funding to the first nations and he's been doing that for quite a number of years and uh, his wife his name is dan and his wife's name is Britta, and she helps him a lot on that too great and uh, that's our oldest son and then uh the, the the daughter well diane louise she used to play and sing with me all the time. We lost her to LS a few years ago. Sorry to hear. And then Maxine, Maxine, she's done a variety of things. Like she worked for regional district for quite a while, and uh, done a lot of writing for people for the speeches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and uh, you know, she's um, her and Jenny are a lot alike in that way. They both think a lot about other people and help other people all the time eh? yeah. you know so we're very proud of them for that too. and our son Larry uh, came from the little town of Penny worked his way up to the regional director for all the parks in northern BC. Wow. So we were very proud of him too. yeah Your daughter
2: Jenny is one of the best realtors ever that's how I met her yeah I hired her to be my realtor yeah and uh, I always joked with people when she became my realtor I was like oh my realtor she can be a a, you know a bad word I was like and that's exactly who you want I said she does not mess around at all she's a pit bull she gets in there and she will fight for what you want and the deal you're gonna get and I always joked with her I always teased her I'm like man you're tough you're yeah. mean like you scare people and I was like I'm gonna keep hiring you to <laughs> sell my houses that's good, yeah. I always <laughs> teased her a lot about that if she'd get in fights with my tenant downstairs because he wasn't keeping the house clean enough for her to show it and I'm like you get him, you get him, girl <laughs> yeah and that's Jenny.
1: you know what I've got if you guys don't mind I got a little short song I'll sing to sort of end Let's up let okay going out on a song can you stand that
2: we have never done this before gone Mm -hmm. out on a song
1: yeah the day is done the golden sun is sinking behind the blue and on its way it seems say, I'm glad that my day's work is through. Night is drawing near, stars will soon appear, and buildings are beginning to light up their window. But as for me, I'm glad to be at with the world and
0: you. very nice clarence where can people buy your book
1: uh, on amazon they can buy it on amazon and also they can buy it at books and company in prince george and Cornell and they can buy it at the, the railway we- museum
0: fantastic and you also have a facebook page what is the name of that facebook page
1: It's just uh, Clarence Boudreaux is the the name. Clarence Boudreaux on Facebook. Or Penny Slim. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you
0: so much. Thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been a
1: pleasure to meet you guys.
0: And everyone listening, watching, buy this book filled with remarkable stories. You'll love it.
1: Thank you guys very much. And you know what? I have a saying that I use like if I entertain. I I do entertain around town sometimes. Not so much lately we're shut down, but. Anyway, I always say that um, I'm very happy to be here. At my age, I'm happy to be anywhere. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we are happy to get to meet you.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to meet you. The guys. man that created Jenna. You want to put on?
0: Absolutely. And one last thing before we wrap things up, we just want to give a a shout out to our friend Selin alpha who is the reason why the three of us, as well as, as Andrew. Our producer, are here today recording this podcast. It wouldn't be possible without Sellen. The the generosity that he's he's showing us and his support, it truly is remarkable. So a quick shout out to Sellen and uh, thank you for for being you, Clarence. Thanks again, Andrew. With
2: that, we're out.